Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and this Wednesday we're going to dive here into Luke chapter number 22, beginning in verse number 24, as we left off yesterday with a question that would be asked of Jesus, who is the greatest? And from there we're going to dive into Peter and, and the conversation that Jesus will have with him, and a lot of this we can discover in this day will apply directly to us in our walk of faith in Christ Jesus in this modern day. So without further ado, let, let us rejoice in the Lord all that he has for us today, beginning with a time in prayer. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done. We thank you for this day being the middle of the week, Lord, the opportunity to be able to unwind from, from Monday and Tuesday and to be able to look forward to Thursday and Friday. Lord, to to discover ourselves in Christ in this moment, no matter what we faced in our day, no matter how our day went, rather it was great or rather it was miserable, regardless of, of anything else, in this moment as we come together in the Word of God, give us the opportunity to separate our hearts from all things of the day so that it may be fully focused on what you have for us to receive from your Word that we may be able to rejoice together as one in Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, guys, in Luke chapter number 22, beginning in verse number 24 and reading down to verse number 30, the scripture reveals to us, There was also a strife among them, as dealing with the disciples of Jesus, of course, now keeping in mind that, that from John chapter number 13 to John chapter number 17, they, they are in the upper room. So you know that there is a great deal of instruction and conversation that's happening during the period of time of that Seder meal. And we understand that from the, the procedure of the Seder meal, that it is approximately four hours, between three and four hours in length in its traditional setting. So we realize that there are a lot of things that, that are being discussed during this period of time. And one of those things that are being discussed is this, this very question that would be posed to Jesus as concerning who's the greatest from among them. And it happens to be a, a strife that, that we still face in this modern day as, as concerning pastors of the churches in a local community where a church may have thousands of people and, and within the same community a church may have 50, it would be assumed that the pastor of the thousands would be more important than the pastor of the 50s. And yet we discover that when it comes to instruction or when it comes to the, the position of faithfulness and righteousness, that it's easy to be a pastor of, of thousands making that money and, and, and providing the information or saying whatever needs to be said to be able to keep that. It's hard to be a pastor of the 50s and be true and steadfast in, in, the, in the midst of being bivocational and everything else that you could possibly imagine due to the fact that the people, though they want Jesus and they don't want to end being a church that just don't have the the ability to provide for a pastor. So a uh, very complicated situation when you start talking about who the greatest is in any given uh, situation because all of us are found equal at the foot of Jesus. Only he is the greatest from among us. Something very important for us to understand. 
So it comes down, it says, There was also a strife among them, which should be accounted the greatest. And so Jesus says to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they, they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sits at meat or he that serves, is not he that sits at meat, but I am among you as he that serves. You are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint you a kingdom as my father has appointed me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the very, the very concept of the strife that's happening among these disciples as concerning who the greatest of them would be stems from also the thinking of the Catholic Church in, in the hierarchical system that it would uphold as believing that the position of the Pope would be a position that was transitioned from uh, the Apostle Peter, as would be believed that Peter would be the highest apostle of all the twelve, and that Peter would have been the, the very uh, source of authority that would be bestowed upon him by Christ over the church. But the reality is, is that when we come to Acts chapter number 15, and we find the great discourse of disagreement that was happening within the church in that day as concerning the Gentiles and the necessity for them to be uh, become Judaized. In other words, that in order for the Gentiles to be equal in part to the Jews as concerning the church, that they would have to uh, go through Jewish ritual and be circumcised and, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, at the point of the argument from Paul and Silas that was coming in from Antioch to Jerusalem to argue that the Gentiles ought not to have to be the Jews in order to be able to worship Jesus in the church, it, it was not Peter that made the decision as to what things the Gentiles would be allowed to do and not to do or allowed to be or not to be. It was not Peter that made the decision it was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem that made the decision, and that pastor's name was James. And so it's very important to realize that, that there's not one person, even among these 12, even among the disciples of the 70-plus at large of these 12, it's not one person that was any greater than any other person, but that they all find themselves equal before Jesus. And so Jesus explains the kingdom of God to them in recognition of who he is. Now keep in mind that Jesus has already donned an apron and washed the disciples' feet, recognizing the position of a servant even though he is the highest authority in the room as the king of kings. And so that he would explain to them that the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And so that we may understand that we of the, of the church in Jesus Christ today do not exercise lordship over one another or that there be a panel of people like a board of directors or a deacon body or a, a, a elder 
committee that that would exercise lordship over the congregation or over a people but that we would recognize that jesus is the authority over us all and that we would find ourselves at a place of repentance and prayer as a whole congregation seeking the lord's direction in the lord's will and that we would honor and recognize the positions that god has placed in our church as being uh, positions of leadership, but we recognize ultimately the sole authority that only Jesus has over his body, the church. And so the scripture says the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they, exer- they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But you shall not be so. This is the key, that, that he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, so those who have the greatest position among us ought to be those who, who are most humble before us. Instead of being the master over us, they would find themselves in a position of humbleness uh, before us. And that he that is chief as he that does serve. And that is exemplified by Jesus as instead of a servant coming into the upper room and washing the feet of the disciples as they come into the room... All of Jesus' apostles certainly came into that upper room during the time of the Seder, but it was Jesus himself, the, the highest authority of the room, the chief among all the others that would don the apron again, as I said before, and wash their feet. And so as Jesus would do such a thing as this, so also uh, we of the board of directors, or we of the deacon body, or we of the elder committee, or we of, of the pastorate, we, we ought to be they who find ourselves humble before the congregation in service. And that's one of the things that you find is, is when we first got to Morgan's, it was constantly told to our family, well, you're the pastor, you're the, you're the pastor's family, you're supposed to be first in line at the meals, or you're supposed to be uh, the, the, the person of honor in this or that or the other. But as I studied the scripture, and you'll find that we've always been in the kitchen serving, or we've always been out cooking, or we've been helping the cooks, or we've been transporting the, the foods back and forth, we've fill the water bases we set up the tables we set up the chairs we we tried to make ready the feast in, in the position of a servant because jesus told us that if we hold uh, any type of of position in the church that we're called to be uh, servants as a pastor as one of the chief positions of a church is it not given to them to follow jesus to serve instead of being served as Jesus would reveal here, he said, For whether is greater, he that sits at meat or he that serves, is not he that sits at meat the greater? He says, But I, I am among you as he that serves. And so that we would find that those that are least in the church would be esteemed in, as a position of greatness, and those that are great in the church would, would lift up those that are least by serving them. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Though he had the, the right to be served, though he had the authority to be honored and to be, be taken care of, yet we find Jesus reversing that role as being the person of 
authority, he, instead of requiring service, provides service. And, and that is something that is so foreign to our, our current way of doing things is that we have finally, over the years, achieved a position of, of authority. And so others are meant to serve us as we began in this life serving others. Now we expect to be served, but that's not the Christian way of thinking at all. The Christian way of thinking is realizing that as Jesus has saved us and sanctified us by his own blood, that it is to Jesus that we have become a servant, and in so serving Jesus, we serve others. And that we reach a position of authority in the church as, say, an evangelist or a pastor or a deacon or an elder or or some measure of chairman in some type of committee of the church that we would recognize that our position is there to serve the body instead of being served by the body. And so it's very important to understand the way that we're supposed to be thinking about these things. And Jesus is, is exemplifying this in his own life. Very important for us to receive. And he said... You are the people who have continued with me in the midst of my temptations. In verse 28, now that is to recognize that Jesus did indeed suffer a multitude of temptations. As you can imagine, uh, being sinless would be even more difficult to have to fight against the temptations of the flesh than, than actually being riddled with sin. And that we are already familiar with the grip of sin and the power of sin within the flesh of our lives that we fight against those temptations, we have a leverage to be able to do so as understanding the danger of those temptations. Jesus, however, being sinless in, in the state of perfection that he would be wearing upon his vesture that form of sinful man in the flesh that he would have, and the temptations and desires of it, that Jesus would, would have a multitude factor of having to fight against them, and so that the people that walked with him that often would be found succumbing to those temptations, that Jesus would not succumb to those to give them strength to know that they didn't have to succumb, is to be recognized that he would say in verse 28, "'You are they which continued with me in the temptations.'" And, and thus he'd say, I appointed you a kingdom. Now recognizing that the kingdom has not yet come to pass, for Jesus has not yet died under the suffering that he would have to suffer and be buried and then rise again. But we do understand that that time is coming. We do have the foresight of knowing already that the kingdom of God is upon us in, in this modern day. But this is the very kingdom that we've been called to and the very temptations that we're to fight against in the flesh so that we may be able to exemplify a, an agent of the kingdom of God, be able to serve Jesus by serving our neighbor, serving our, our fellow members of the church. And imagine a church where everybody would be serving each other so that no one people group would find themselves as being higher than any other and that the goal of everyone would be to serve everyone. What a blessing of a church that would be indeed. 
And he comes down and he says that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Interesting for these apostles to be considered the judges of Israel as recognizing Israel's rebellion against God in the rejection of their Messiah, that the twelve apostles would be ultimately the judges over the twelve tribes of Israel. And that's a very powerful teaching in itself. And so the the conversation that, that drifts from this concept of who's the greatest to uh, an understanding that Jesus has that Peter has yet to figure out as of, as of this time that he's going to deny his Lord. And so verse number 31, it comes down and it says, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you. That, you may, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. And he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both into prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before you shall thrice deny that you know me. Oh, very powerful understanding that Jesus gives here. I want you to see a couple of things. First thing that I want you to see is the prayer of John chapter number 17. In John chapter number 17, Jesus opens up into a prayer that would be for us. In fact, Jesus would go into John 17 and he would say, I don't pray for the world. I pray for those that you have given me. And that's very powerful that we understand this because it's not the world that Satan's against. They belong to him already. It's not the world that Satan brings such vehement temptation to. It's not the world that Satan tries to wreak havoc in. It is the church. It is the children of God that Satan seeks to destroy. Because the world already belongs to Satan. The corruption has already set in. It, it, it belonged to him ever since Genesis chapter number 3, in which case he would cause Adam and Eve to fall in the deception of, of the corrupting of God's word and, and that sin would enter into the world and death by sin. And so death would pass upon all man for that all have sinned. Find that in Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 12. Guys, the, the reality is, is that when Jesus is speaking to, to Peter, he speaks to him directly, but he doesn't call him Peter as, as he had originally changed his name. He called him by the name in which he was known, Simon. Simon. He said, Satan desires to have you. And that's true. Uh, believer, Satan desires to have you. Now, it isn't that Satan can have your soul because as you have con confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that, that you have received the seal of your salvation and, and the sign of that being your baptism is that you are connected to Christ and there's nothing that can separate you from that love of God. But it doesn't change the fact that if Satan cannot have your soul, he certainly will, will have you in order to destroy 
destroy your testimony so that the gospel can no longer be effective through you into the world around you. And so he says, Satan desires to have you so that he could sift you as wheat. In other words, so that he could he could literally infuse his wickedness back into your life, that he could he could kind of sift all of the the truth of the gospel out of you and and, and infect you with his his desires and his passions once more so satan desires to have you believer because if again he cannot take your soul to hell with him he'll certainly take your testimony and and, and make it look like you belong in hell won't he and so we understand the prayer of jesus for us that he still prays to this day he's praying for you guys and and the holy spirit signifies this in your soul you know the prayer of jesus for you as he says here in verse number 32 but i have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. Guys, think about the reality of the faith that you have in Christ Jesus this day, that this word faith is not a noun to describe something that you you are. That's what the word believer is, is the noun that describes what you are. But faith is the verb. It's the action of being a believer. And so faith is, is the activity of our life in Christ. It's by faith, as you read in Hebrews chapter number 11, that, that Abraham was prepared to offer Isaac. It was by faith that, that these men and women of God did these amazing works or stayed true to their faith in the midst of a world that had turned against God. It's by faith that Jesus surrendered himself to the the Roman soldiers, and by faith that Jesus on the cross being separated from his father with all of the sin of the world laid upon his shoulders that he would give his last breath by faith, trusting in God. And thus we are saved by faith through grace. I mean, that's, that's that action of, of confession. It's that action of trusting. It's the act of your life committed to God that brings you unto salvation because of your knowledge of his word and, and of his presence. And so very important that, that when Jesus prays for you, that he prays for your faith, or in other words, he prays for the activity that is going to happen in your life because it is the activity of your life. It's the things that you're saying, the places that you're going, the people that you're meeting. It's all of these activities of your life that are either going to exemplify and exalt Jesus Christ on this in this world or is going to condemn the very notion of your Christianity in this world and Satan desires a condemnation against you whereas Jesus prays for a strong activity through you. Very important to understand that. And he says, I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. And when you, now this is an interesting statement, verse number 32, that, that Jesus would make concerning Peter. Now, converted. What exactly is Jesus saying? He said, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. 
do you realize that that though Peter trusts in Jesus, Peter has been among the the first group of people, the first three people, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, I should say four, were, were the first followers of Jesus, as you recall back in Luke chapter number two, when Jesus climbed into their fishing boat to be able to speak to the people on the shoreline as they cast out and then go get fish. Um, it, very important, they were the first four. And so you would, you would think that Peter would be solid in his faith after seeing the 5,000 fed or the 7,000 fed or seeing the blind uh, able to have sight back, watching the lame get up, seeing the instances of, of the dead rising. I mean, you would think that he would be such a solid and faithful believer that there would be no need to discuss conversion. But that's the case. Jesus said, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. In other words, though Peter seemed to be, and this is very important for us to receive this Wednesday as well, is because many people who are watching this right now uh, claim to be believers, and they seem to be solid in their faith. They seem to be believers. But why would Jesus tell one who is so ardent and faithful to his service all these years, these three years, that, that, that would be ready to fight and, and to die for him, why would he tell him when you are converted? Well, the concept of conversion is, is very much so the idea that, that all of his life would be surrendered from, from a former position that he had taken unto the position of serving Jesus. And what we discover in Peter is the fact that indeed he wasn't converted yet because once Jesus died, once he was laid in the tomb, Peter didn't continue on in the evangelism of, of being a Christian at that point. All of his hope and faith was lying in the tomb. Peter said the very strong words that we may see in the near future here of Luke, I go fishing. In other words, when Peter's faith and hope laid in the tomb and the expectation of a kingdom did not happen the way that Peter expected that it should Instead of being faithful in the service of the king because he had a heart converted unto the kingdom of God, Peter went back to the old ways of his life. Peter went back to the old service of his life, his old kingdom, so to speak. So Jesus knew that no matter how faithful Peter was in the time that Peter had Jesus right there with him, that Peter had not been converted that he'd not had his life completely changed. And I have to say, I think that there are many a people today that claim to be Christian that have yet to be converted to the service of Christ because it's so easy for them to abandon church for work or to abandon church for uh, sports or to abandon church for, for family or any other thing. Uh, it's so easy for them to make church something second, to make, to make God something third, fourth, or fifth. It's so easy for them not to live their faith. And this may be you that I'm speaking to. Is, and the reason why this is the case is because you're simply not converted. That your, your, your faith, while you have trusted in Jesus as, as believing him to be your Lord and Savior, you've not surrendered your heart. You've not surrendered your life. 
You've not surrendered anything to him. You've only made confession of him, or should I say profession of him. It's not even certain that you actually have a confession in Christ because the church is not increasing of your outreach of the gospel. Certainly, uh, churches we, we find are struggling to barely make it with the amount of members that they currently have because they're not increasing in attendance of those who formerly came to the churches, nor are they increasing in, in new believers simply because the old believers aren't doing any of the works that their Lord had commanded them to do. And so we find that it's very possible that through all of our professions of praying that prayer and walking that aisle and going through the motions of all that we were instructed to do or all that we had watched former generations do that we believed were necessary to do didn't bring us to the state of conversion, just brought us to the state of religion. And religion never reached anyone unto salvation, only conversion brings the soul to the realization of surrender. And thus, we find that Jesus pointing Peter out, pointing the very one person that you would have assumed to be the strongest of them all, ends up being the one that has the most doubt and goes back into the world and into the ways of his old life before any of the rest of them do, after the crucifixion had taken place and all of his hopes seemed dashed. And so Jesus is praying for him, and he makes it known. And, and Jesus has already said, when you are converted. Now, there's a different Peter, isn't there? After Jesus speaks to him once he was out there fishing, and Jesus told him to cast the net on the other side, and Peter did as he was commanded, not recognizing at that moment that it was Jesus, but then discovering the, the catch of the fish, that this was the same Jesus, the same moment that took place back when I heard the voice of him that told me to cast, and I did, you know, we've been here all night. And that Peter that jumped out of the vessel that, that was recognized as being naked, by the way, and that Peter that jumped out of the vessel and swam to the shore was a whole different Peter, was a surrendered Peter, was a, a, a Peter that, that had recognized that this is Jesus, his Savior, alive, resurrected, and in authority had surrendered his life to the point where indeed he gave his life under crucifixion as being upside down because he didn't find himself worthy to be in the same position as his Lord. But that, that, that surrendered Peter after the resurrection of Jesus was entirely different than the pompous Peter before Jesus' resurrection. Now, he seemed to be a solid Christian, didn't he? He seemed to be a solid believer, but he'd yet to be converted. After conversion, though, he was able to strengthen his brethren he was able to be a bulwark of the faith in so much that he was ready to lay down his life so that others may live. So it's very important for us to check our own Christianity. Let's do a reality check this afternoon to think about our own walk with God. Are we living up 
to the standards that our Savior established for us? Are we making excuses saying that there's that we can't do the things that Jesus expected of us, but that Jesus could is supposed to understand that because he didn't give us the courage to be able to do that, even though he filled us with the Holy Spirit? It would give us ability to do all things that Jesus had commanded us to do. Now, are we still at the, the infant stage of pointing fingers and saying, well, at least I do some things that makes me better than those that do nothing, right? Are we still at the pathetic level of, of just warming a bench and waiting for God to come down from heaven in person and tell us what we're supposed to do in his kingdom instead of realizing that that God would have expectation of us at first and foremost to share the gospel with those around us and then as we begin to grow in the understanding of his word that we would see uh, what he would have for us to do as we would already be active in our faith doing the work of the Lord and not just sitting around hearing messages only would we be a people that need a reality check I'd say for the majority of this nation alone yes and may this day, may this teaching of, of this Peter, who we assume to be a powerful servant of the Lord, may, may we recognize that Jesus even prayed for him and told him that at this point he had yet to surrender to him, that when he did surrender, when he did convert, that he would be useful in strengthening the brethren. And of course, Peter didn't accept that, just like many of you that just heard this may be convicted in heart, but you're not going to accept it because it's, it's speaking so close to you that, that, that it hurts and you don't want it to be true. And so the same is true with Peter as verse 33 would show. He said, I'm ready to go with you both into prison and to death if that's what's necessary. But that's not true because we know that Peter is one of the first that jumps up and runs away after he cuts the ear of the priest's priest servants off. And, and Jesus puts it back on and censures him and tells him that's not how the kingdom works, that Jesus begs the life of his disciples, and they all run away, Peter among them. Instead of being ready to be killed with Jesus, instead of being ready to go to prison with Jesus, he just tuck tails and runs like all the rest of them. But this is the guy who bolsteredly said, I'm ready to go to prison and to die with you, and he's tuck tailing and run. So we, we realize that that. Jesus knows us so much better than we know ourselves. And though we think ourselves to be powerful in the faith, and though we think ourselves to be strong in Christ, though we think ourselves to be somebody, a reality check of Peter's life may show us that we're off the mark, that we need to get converted, and that we need to become surrendered to Christ. And so it brings us to this position right here at, at the scripture being fulfilled. And, and thus in verse number 35, it comes down and he said to them, when I sent you without a purse and scrip and shoes, did you lack anything? Well, they said, no, we didn't lack anything. And then Jesus said to them, but now you who have a purse, take it with you. Likewise, with a script, take that with you 
and and you that do not have a sword let him sell his garment to buy one now is the time whereas beginning you had jesus in beginning you you had instruction you had you had the the help and aid that that you didn't need anything now you, you have reached a place where you're going to have to go out on your own you're going to have to make your way in this life with christ alone you're you're actually going to have to take a stand for me without me being there to guard you you're going to have to go through this life that i had to go through remember Remember back when when the disciples were fussing and and they said, Lord, allow us that we may sit on your right side and your left side at at your kingdom and drink the cup. And Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I have to drink of? And can can you eat of the 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 bread that I have to eat of? And they said, well, indeed, Lord, we could do all of that. And he said, "Okay, then you will suffer what i suffer you will face what i face well this is that teaching coming to existence right here as being fulfilled in jesus as verse 37 would say for i say unto you that that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me as and he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end and they said lord behold here are two swords And he said to them, it is enough. And indeed, it would be enough, but this isn't the way that we fight for the kingdom. The sword of the word, or as better, the the sword of the Lord, will be the way that we fought for this kingdom. And thus, we get down to a a rendering. We'll read it, but we'll, we'll cover it at Jesus as he prays at the Mount of Olives. Tomorrow. Matter of fact, I'll just wait for this because it's such powerful teaching that Jesus goes through, and we've already received such powerful teachings today that we might get inundated if, if we carry on. But I want to reiterate the concept of Jesus' prayer for Peter and the very concept of Jesus' prayer for us is a prayer of conversion, and meaning a prayer of a surrendered life to his will. Even though we find ourselves to be faithful, even though we find ourselves possibly to be, to be in the service of our king, yet still we may have areas of our life that have not been surrendered unto our Lord. And it is the necessity of a surrendered life that recognizes a servant's life, that recognizes a, a humbleness before Jesus that is necessary in order to be able to strengthen each other. And if we're not at that place that Jesus would be praying for us as being converted because Satan certainly desires to sift you as wheat this day. It's very important for us to understand that. So let us commit this time to the Lord in in closing of prayer. And we'll pick up with Luke 22 and verse 39 as Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives and has the discourse of prayer and fusses at his disciples about the sleeping that he may still be fussing at his disciples to this modern day about as concerning sleeping. We very well may be guilty of that. (laughs) but I digress. Father, we are grateful for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this middle of the week, for this powerful teaching concerning the prayer of Jesus over our lives, even unto this day. 
that we, as his disciples, may live a surrendered life, understanding that Satan indeed desires to sift us as wheat, but that Jesus indeed is praying for us. And Father, that we may be converted wholly unto Christ, and, and that we may be able to strengthen each other through our conversion, helping others to be discipled and to understand what it means to live a life pleasing unto God and serving Jesus Christ. We pray that you will bless us in this time that we have together, that you will bless this message richly to the hearts of those whom I pray have received it. And Lord, it will be well with our soul in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I shall catch you tomorrow for, for the follow-up of Luke 22 and the Mount of Olives prayer. Y'all take good care now.